Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Free Retiree Show. Everything you hear on this podcast today, I just want to let you guys all know, nothing here is medical advice, and all the opinions are strictly that of the hosts and guests and not reflective of their employers. If you like us, show some love, like us on Facebook, share us on LinkedIn. We appreciate all the love and support. And if you have questions, ask us at ask at thefreeretiree.com. Welcome in to the Free Retiree Show, where we help you transform your life so you can become financially free. In this show, we'll give you the inside track on how to excel in your career, filter out the noise surrounding your finances to help you make smart financial decisions, and we'll learn from thought and business leaders who can help you live your best life. Welcome into the show. I am here, joined alongside my co-host, our attorney, Matt McElroy. What's going on? We got career advisor Sergio Patterson. What's up? How you, how you guys doing today? Pretty good. Actually, pretty awake on the Sunday morning. Yeah, we got coffee. I'm just trying to survive in this quarantine life with the wife and the kids in the house going crazy, but trying to make it. So today we got an awesome episode for you guys. Today we're going to be doing a, a business owner and thought leader edition. This is one of our favorite parts of the show. This is where we get to interview people that have done amazing things. We get to learn from them. So today we have a special, special interview. It's with Dr. Candice Weaver. And just to give you guys a rundown, she is an alum of UC Berkeley. She's been at John Hopkins University, Dartmouth, and she is a board certified family physician. And she's also a diplomat for the American Board of Family Medicine. And if that isn't enough to get you enticed into this episode, she's also written a book. It's a number one Amazon bestseller. Uh, it's also, she runs a nonprofit. And she's currently on the front lines of COVID-19. Without further ado, Dr. Candice Weaver, how are you? Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, we are so happy to have you on. When I was reading off your bio, I was like, Man, how does someone of such high quality friends with Sergio Patterson? It's <laughs> <laughs> a low blow. It's a way to start the show, Lee. So I, I just got to know, Candice, like someone of your stature, how are you running with, you know, people like Sergio Patterson? So Sergio's family has been close to my family for, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so. I had a, my first son. He's 11 now. And I think he was maybe one or two years old. And we were um, at a winery. And we ran into Sergio's mom. And I don't know if you've ever met Miss Lupe, but she's, she's like the card. most. She's a wild card. Yeah, <laughs> it's a wild card. She's out there. She's she's the most, you know, sort of outgoing, friendly person you'll ever meet. And love she, you, mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love you, Lupe. And she said, she looked at my son and she said, oh, you should meet my grandson because he was the same age. Um, no, it wasn't Bianca's son. It was, it was, uh, it was Xavier. So that's how he yeah, came, okay. yeah. 
So, because JJ and Xavier are the exact same age. Yeah. And, um, you know, my, my husband is biracial, but he looks sort of Puerto Rican. And so Sergio's brother <laughs> was like looking at him like, hey, there's not that many Puerto Rican cats out here. Like, <laughs> so like, I got to be friends with this guy. <laughs> so somehow they like hooked up and started, started talking and I started talking to his wife and we all just became family friends and we've been friends ever since. And um, the Patterson family has been so good to me. I love them to death. Yeah, it, it always starts with Mama Lupe. Yes. And all your accolades, I think the biggest one we left out is you do all that as a mother of three. Yeah, three kids. How? How do you do that? Man, I don't know. I don't know. I, You know, I've always, um, especially in this career, you always have to kind of prioritize things. And my father died when I was really young. I was still in college. And I decided that I was going to plan my career around my life instead of plan my life around my career. Um, because, you know, you can wait forever and ever and ever and then not be fertile or, you know, have other issues where you don't have a family. So I said, no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm in med school or I'm in law school, whatever I'm doing, I'm going to have kids. So um, I just went for it blindly. I had my first child in med school, the second one in residency, and the third one about a week into being an attending, which was, it was tough. Um, and, but hopefully I can afford therapy for them when they get older. So, <laughs> yeah. so you, 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 so you were actually in med school when you were having your kids. Yep. That's insane. Cause yep. I know a lot of, wow. I have a lot of friends that are doctors and they have, they, it is in their plan. <laughs> they will not have kids while they're going through the whole process. So. Oh yeah. No. Well, the, the thing is, you know, you, it, it goes again it's your priorities like if, if you prioritize having family at a young age then you just have to do it you can't wait forever especially as a woman there's biological issues that kind of make it difficult to wait longer and a lot of doctors you'll see that they don't have kids until they're in their late 30s early 40s even and I didn't want that you know losing my father at an early age kind of changed my perspective about that because I didn't want to be 60 years old with a toddler you know yeah. <laughs> it's just like I got to do it now. And if, if it's hard, it's hard. And you just have to find the right partner to do it with. He was single dad for most of, you know, the first five years of my oldest son's life. So. Yeah. There's never really a right time. I think a lot of people are like, Oh, I got to wait till I'm ready. But when are you ever ready to like take care of a human life? You know what I mean? It's like, you're, you're never ready. <laughs> <laughs> you're never ready. So just do it now. Like if you can't, you know, and yeah. different people have different priorities, you know, but for me, it was, I wanted to be a younger mom. So. Being a parent just makes you so much more focused and disciplined too, just in general. Like it changes you in that way. Like there's no doubt. Yeah, if Matt yeah. can do it, yeah. anyone and, uh, can do it. <laughs> trust me, I was surprised. <laughs> if if Matt and I can do it, anyway. Lee, Lee is still yet to join that club. I got Jackson. Yeah, Jackson doesn't count. <laughs> Jackson counts. Is he there? He's is my, Jackson uh, there right my, now? No, there's yeah. no way he could be in that room while we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you'd see him bouncing across the screen. Yeah. Um. All right, cool. Is, so, Candace, uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Is Jackson a dog or what? <laughs> yeah, he's a gold doodle. He's a, gold doodle. <laughs> he's a, he's a designer puppy. Uh, for the listeners, so I know Lee did a great intro. Would love to just to understand, like, what are your biggest priorities right now and projects, things you're up to? Obviously, you're on the front lines, COVID 19 is going on. Anything you want to kind of kick off with? Top of mind for you? Jeez, uh, you know, I've got a lot of projects going on all the time. Um, I never stop. Um, yeah, working right now in medicine is 
probably the toughest time in anyone's career. It's It's been absolutely insane. It's an unprecedented time, but um, I'm fortunate to kind of work for an organization that's really made a lot of strides and made it um, as easy as possible, as possibly as it could possibly be. Um, but that being said, one of my biggest priorities at the beginning of this whole crisis was to make sure that everyone um, was safe and that, you know, <clears throat> everyone had the protective equipment that they needed. So one of the projects that I started um, was something called Sewing to Save. And we went overnight from like five or 10 of me and my friends who like to, you know, craft um, to make masks for um, healthcare workers that were lacking protective, uh, personal protective equipment. And overnight, we went from maybe five or six people to now um, almost 7,000 of us nationwide. And we've distributed about 70,000 masks across the United States um, for people in need. And now most of it is not just going to healthcare workers. We're also doing a nursing homes, elderly folks, um, the Native uh, American reservations are really in need as well. So we're focusing on those. Yeah, what's also interesting is everyone, the metric everyone's worried about is the mortality, who's going to die. But to me, it's, even getting sick is a problem. Like exactly. Morbidity is yeah. also morbidity is also an, an issue with this disease because it's a novel virus. We don't know long term the consequences of having it and of having even been exposed to it and being asymptomatic. So, you know, you, we should not just focus on those who die, but also those who become very ill, those who lose their job, how it's affecting our economy, how it's affecting people's day to day lives. Uh, mental health has been affected by many people. I have a friend who's a social worker and she's just, you know, completely burdened every single day with, with issues. So it's, um, this, this has been very impactful to lots of people for lots of reasons. And I think that it would be prudent for all of us to listen to scientists and experts instead of to um, people who are not scientists or experts. Have you been overloaded with COVID patients? You know, I'm not at liberty to talk about um, direct patient care, but I will say that there have been lots and lots and lots and lots of patients in this county, and that's all public information, of, yeah, you know, a coronavirus, lots of it. And it's, it's, you know, there's estimates that, you know, a high percentage of people have been exposed, if not yet ill, um, to coronavirus. It's spreading. It's in all of the hospitals, so... There's definitely like a rush to get this vaccine, right? And, you know, as we were just talking about like side effects and stuff from vaccines, do you think that there, it's going to be possible that because they're moving so quickly to do this, that this vaccine could have side effects that are maybe unforeseen because they have such a slim, limited window to actually kind of check it out and figure out if they're, you know, that kind of um, stuff? Yeah, absolutely. There's always, there's always a possibility of, you know, side effects from anything that we administer, um, vaccines, medication, etc. There's always a possibility of something happening, you know, obviously, um, I, from my understanding, scientists are rushing as, as fast as they can to uh, ameliorate this crisis. And, um, you know, hopefully we will have a vaccine soon. Awesome. So Candice, would love, you know, you've, you've got all these accolades. Uh, you've done so much good work. Could you just share just a little bit about your backstory and kind of how you chose this profession? Hmm, that's a tough one. Um, how I chose my profession. Actually, you know, I didn't initially want to be a physician. I um, 
in undergrad at Berkeley, I decided to do public health because I thought it was, I could make more broad impact in public health policy. Um, but shortly after I graduated, I decided that I missed those one-on-one -on -one relationships that I, you know, that I enjoy having with patients. So I went to Hopkins to do my pre-meds and, uh, you know, how did I choose medicine out of all the things that I could do? I just, I've always been drawn towards medicine in general and health. And I feel like, um, as a physician, I get those one-on-one -on -one relationships that, that you can have um, and, and really make an impact in, every, in everyone's life. I pride myself actually on being sort of a uh, old fashioned doctor. So um, we call it from the cradle to the grave. I take care of entire families. So um, I have newborns and elderly people that I take care of. I've delivered hundreds of babies. And I did an unopposed residency program, meaning that the residency program that I went to didn't have other specialists there at all. So if you can imagine, I can deliver a baby, close a gunshot wound, and do a colonoscopy in the same day, you know. So um, it's not your typical uh, physician. Correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong. I remember years ago, you either worked at a correctional facility or <laughs> a prison yeah. at some point? Yeah, I did um, in residency because I, while I was in medical school, I was selected as a National Health Service Corps Scholar. And basically what that is, it's a program where you commit a certain amount of years of your time working in an underserved community in exchange for them covering some of your medical school tuition and some of your expenses from school. And um, you have the option of where you would like to pay it back, but the option, the list that they give you is really, really narrow and always on the list, it's always prison somewhere. And while I was in residency, I decided to get some prison experience just in case. So that way after I graduated, I can uh, either go there instead of being shipped off somewhere to, I don't know, Puerto Rico or someplace where I would have to uproot my entire family. So luckily we live fairly close to uh, Soledad. So I went and worked at Soledad for I think six weeks or so. I knew the chief medical officer there was one of my attendings at the hospital that I worked at. And uh, it was quite an experience. I actually enjoyed it a lot. I, I enjoyed working at Soledad. What did you enjoy about it? Um, you know, you, the things that you see on TV are, it's, it's not as bad. And I, I kept trying to explain this to my husband, but he's like, no, you're not, you're not working in prison. Um, <laughs> but I, I loved it. You know, yeah. It's, what did I like about it? Well, first of all, it was very interesting. One of the things I didn't realize before I, I took that job was, um, how there's a whole like social hierarchy within the prisons. And doctors have played a major role in that because what they do is they, they give prisoners permission for certain things. So everything that they, every possession that they have um, has to have permission from someone, either like some administrator or from a physician. So oftentimes, so in their hierarchy, if you sleep on the bottom bunk, it's better than if you sleep on the top bunk. And if you sleep on the bottom floor of the prison, it's, you know, you have a higher social hierarchy than those that are on the top floors. And the more possessions you have um, also makes you more, you know, higher on this hierarchy. Um, so 
like they would ask for, you know, pens, like I, I need, I need permission to have a pen and you have to be very judicious about what you sign off on because they might be using it to make a shank. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, often, pen, or like, pen could do some they, damage. Yeah, you can do damage to the pen, but oftentimes they said, I need it for my mental health so I can draw or so I can write letters or whatever. Or they would, um, they would ask for, you know, I need crutches. You know, I sprained my ankle. I need, I need a wheelchair. And sometimes if you go out on the yard, they're just sitting there in a wheelchair. They don't really need it. It's just like, I have something that you don't have. This is really interesting how that all worked and how doctors tie into that. I would have never, never yeah. thought the role that the doctor <laughs> plays. <laughs> yeah, I would have never thought it either. Prison but it was hierarchy. so hilarious. It's like 50% of the time, like I thought I was going to be in there like dealing with, you know, drugs or whatever. Although I did have a lot of that when I was at the county hospital. A lot of the prisoners um, from um from Soledad would come down to the county and I had a lot of issues there but within the prison there wasn't it wasn't that bad it was just normal day-to-day stuff diabetes low back pain high blood pressure um but the vast majority like say maybe about 50 percent of the time it was like they would schedule a visit to come see me so I can sign off for them to sleep on the bottom bunk (laughs) or to sleep on (laughs) yeah and that's just like a power play right it's just it's a power play yeah, and it, it says a lot about humans in general. When you remove earthly possessions from everyone, right? Like, at the end of the day, they will still find some way to assert power over others, which is interesting. Through physical possessions, which is more interesting. It's crazy. You guys have any questions on uh, her experience at Soledad Prison? <laughs> no, I would be a bottom bunk sort of guy. <laughs> <laughs> So kind of pivoting a little bit, but obviously you touched on everything that's gone well. Um, any professional challenges you can think of, just thinking back early in your career, any obstacles you've you've had to overcome? Jeez. Uh, um, you know, I didn't really come from a family with a lot of means. I don't, you know, I put myself through college for the most part. So that in and of itself was a huge obstacle. And, you know, it's, it's actually an obstacle for a lot of physicians. Many of us graduate with about three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars worth of educational debt. Um, so, you know, again, having a parent who passed away early on um, and kind of struggling to get through school has has always been an obstacle for me. And then, you know, it's I don't I don't know if it will classify as an obstacle, but just the decision to start a family has been an obstacle for me, you know, and and making sure that I uh, stay true to my own priorities in life and not necessarily in career um, has been, has been tough. It's been a struggle. One thing I noticed when I was reading your bio is your family, like your mom, I saw that she was Mm -hmm. a teen mom from Compton and she Mm -hmm. rose through the ranks or became one of the well-known person in the defense industry or had a lot of success in that industry and your father he was actually one of the first african-americans to graduate from engineering from was carnegie mellon right yep i mean Mm -hmm. that's i mean that's pretty amazing uh you know family that you come from so how did that play a role in you growing up and did that influence your course of your career Absolutely. I mean, my parents have been um, examples to me from the very beginning to never, ever, ever give up. I mean, when you look at my father, who's one of nine children, 
and the only one who graduated from a four-year institution and didn't just graduate from any old, you know, college. He was graduated from one of the best schools in the entire nation. And his story is actually really, uh, really cool. He always wanted to be in the military, but he was born with um, like a kidney disease. And uh, he went to his guidance counselor when he was getting ready to graduate from college, or sorry, from high school. And the guidance counselor goes, well, you know, you're pretty good at math. And this school right here is looking for, for black kids. Why don't you apply to this? So he just he turned in an application. You know, he wanted to go to the Air Force or become like an auto mechanic or air, airplane mechanic. And the counselor was like, no, just turn in this application too. Um, but the Air Force wouldn't accept him because of his illness. So he turned in the application and he, he ended up getting in. So, um, and my mother was a, but I, I always think of my father's story because it reminds me of how um, one person can make such a huge impact on your life. Just that one act of kindness and reminding him that you don't, you, there's other options, like com completely change the trajectory of his life and generations to come. And the same thing with my mom. She is one of seven kids. And uh, she was a mother, my sister, my sister was born when my mom was 16 years old. She was in an abusive relationship, um, left my sister's father with nothing, no shoes on her feet, got on the bus with my sister on her hip and ran away to somewhere in hiding from her abusive relationship. And all she knew was she had a little baby that she had to take care of. So she went and uh, started looking for jobs and lied about her age. And at the time, you know, being a secretary was one of those really good entry-level jobs that you can get that had benefits. So she decided to make up that she could type a certain amount of words per minute and get this job as a secretary. And the guy that hired her within, you know, one day, he said, you're lying. You, <laughs> like, you're not, you can't type, you're typing with one finger at a time. But my mom just burst out in tears. She said, I'll, I'll try my best. I won't give up please don't fire me. I have a baby I have to take care of. And the man was so kind to her. And he said, listen, I'm going to let you keep this job, but you have to promise me that you're going to go back to school. And so she did. She went back to school. She went to night school and um, she worked every single day during the day in night school at night to get her GED. And then after she got her GED um, and she really was a secretary and she's doing really well. And the man that she worked for said, Hey, you know, I'm going to close my business, but I have a good friend who works at uh, Northrop Grumman and um, he's looking for a secretary. So now that you have your high school diploma, I, I'm going to give you a reference to him. And so that's how she ended up getting the job there in Northrop Grumman. She is, she's at, that, at the time it was just Northrop and she's working at Northrop now. Um, and she's looking around at all these people that are successful. And she asked her boss there, how did, how did he get his job? And he said, well, he, he has a college degree, young lady. And so my mom's like, well, I want one too. And Northrop paid for it. So she ended up uh, working and getting her bachelor's degree and then going to UCLA and doing all these things all at nighttime while raising my sister alone. And um, she worked her way up through the defense industry. And she, was, she ended up being in contract administration and was the lead uh, contract administrator on the B-2 bomber, which at the time was the largest contract, government contract ever written. So um, again, one of those stories where it's just like, you know, makes your tingle, your spine tingle because it reminds you that one person can make the difference in your life and your whole family's life.
so um you know i i had no excuse not to be successful when i have such you know strong examples of people who never gave up despite their life circumstances those are two amazing stories now yeah when you're growing up in this sort of household I mean, how is it as a child? Like, is it like, do they give you the direction say, this is what you're going to be? Or do you, or do they, are they just examples and you just, you just, you just look at who they are and you just want to emulate the successes that they've had? Yeah, you know, I definitely, uh, my mom definitely was like, no, you're going to be a doctor. There were no choices, that's you know, um, but that's because in her time, um, that's what she saw. The people that are most successful, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're a business person, and that's it. You have no other options. And af after she had struggled for so long, to her, um, success was in status and in um, money. And, um, that, you know, from a young age, I kind of was, you know, pointed in that direction. Like, this is, this is what you need to do. And um, I had a lot of support, but my parents also gave me a very, very healthy dose of, you know, leaving me on my own to make my own choices and to make my own mistakes. It's funny. So we had a, so we had a Dr. Dexter Hadley on uh, some episodes back and he's one of the leading artificial intelligence doctors in the United States. And we asked him, I was like, so how did this come? He's like, my mom was like, you're going to be a doctor. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. well, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, it's not an option. You're going to be. And I was like, yeah. okay, well, that, I mean, yeah. it's funny. Yeah. Like, it seems like, you know, the parents set the expectation, like, hey, there is no, no, no wiggle room for mediocrity. You're, you're going to be the best version of yourself as long as you're under the You know, I think I was maybe 22 when I realized that I had a choice not to go to college. Like, I didn't even think that that was a, a, an option. I was never raised to, I, I didn't even know that you could not go. Like, yeah. it was from, a, from childhood. I remember being my daughter's age, maybe five years old or something, and my mom would say, now, what is it that you want to be when you grow up? that was my party trick like she'd stand me in front of everyone and tell tell everybody what you're gonna be when you grow up neuroscientist you know like it was just from day one it was always ingrained in me so how how does that uh how does that play into the way you raise your your three amazing kids now you know, I am of a different school of thought, right? Like I didn't have the same upbringing that my parents had and I kind of define success a little bit differently than they did. So for me, I just, I, I want my kids, I, I, I recognize the talents in my kids and, and their differences. And I think for them, I want them to pursue what makes them happy. And that's my biggest priority and, and what makes, what is their passion? What are they passionate about? And um, what will they be most successful at? And I don't think, you know, it's, it's, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg is a perfect example, right? Like you don't have to be in this box of college graduate, doctor, lawyer, business person only anymore to be successful. Um, following your passion and following the things that, that you, um, that make you smile and make your heart happy are the things that make people successful now. Yeah, Lee, how do you feel about that response? <laughs> I love the response. <laughs> we, we had an early episode where we had this debate about, it was like passion versus lo like being logical and realistic. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And then my thought is like, there's got to be a balance. Uh, it, it was just a really funny conversation. I, 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 th- I see both perspectives, but I think, I don't think what your parents did, I don't think what your mom did was wrong because it, it could have been worse, right? Doctors yeah. one of the best, best professions out there. Um, speaking about your mom, you shared a picture, I think, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And she looks so young. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. My mom's a marathon runner. And she's run, she's 68 years old, 69, and she's run 60 marathons. And she's, I, I don't remember one day. I, I honestly cannot look back on one day in my entire life, my entire childhood, where my mom didn't wake up at 3 a.m. and run eight miles, ever. I cannot, cannot even remember one time. Um, and it's just that, that is the, that's the foundation of dedication that was, you know, instilled in me at an early age. It wasn't just go to work, go to college, you know, work your way up from blah, blah, blah. It was, if you commit to something, you stick with it, you don't quit. And watching my mom run marathons. And in fact, my mom had an open heart surgery. They found a tumor growing on her tricuspid valve, um, a papillary elastoma. And uh, they told her that it had to be removed or else it's going to dislodge and cause you to have a major heart attack or stroke. And she's this healthy, you know, 40 something year old woman. And she's like, okay, well, I guess I have to have it. But the LA Marathon's coming in, in eight weeks. I, I can't miss it. I've been training. And they're like, sorry, man, you, you gotta, you, you gotta have this surgery. She's like, okay. So she has open heart surgery. They crack her sternum. They take her heart out. They take the tumor off of her heart, put it back in, you know, sew her chest back up. And um, I remember I was in high school. I came to visit her in the hospital and she's like, you know, could barely even talk or move. And she saw me come in the room and she didn't want me to see her in a, in a moment of weakness. And she started pounding her chest like this. <laughs> And she, she's like, I'm strong. She's like, you, you just wait. I'm going to be on the pavement. And sure enough, she ran the LA Marathon six weeks later. Wow. Wow. Is that even medically safe? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not. <laughs> Probably not. But yeah, no, I think that's why. I, I guess it's, it's that dedication, that determination. That's the kind of, that's the example that I had. And um, I think. Yeah, I don't think that was medically safe, probably, but a lot of stuff she has done is not necessarily <laughs> medically advised. But I think that's what keeps her young. And when you look at her, it's, it's amazing. You, you can't tell that she's her age because I think she's taken really good care of herself all these years. That's where her uh, priority, yeah. Is that where Cammie gets her passion? And I've seen videos of her boxing. Yeah. Cammie's yeah. Candace's youngest daughter. Yeah. And she's just like a beast. Like she was yeah. boxing or something at the park. It was, it was yeah. wild. Yeah, Cammy Cammy came out of the womb fighting and like she has two older brothers that, you know, and she's she's like, I'm not to be effed with today. Like she will she will fight. And I think she gets that from her grandma for sure. She's a fighter. Um, she's very strong. She's very determined. I see that in her. And it's it's funny when you look at all of your kids and, and how they all have different personalities and all have different strengths and um, I, I'm kind of not pushing my kids towards any specific career, but kind of letting them, um, sort of putting them in a path where they can pursue things that align with their personality traits. Like Miles is, you know, the life of the party. Wherever he goes, everyone knows Miles. Everyone loves him. He's always cracking jokes. I mean, he's hilarious. He's an athlete. 
So we're kind of like, you know, putting him in soccer and baseball and the things that make him happy. Yeah, to your point, like my son's super into building and uh, I'm not pushing him to like the engineering and science, but that's where he, he lights up. So I'm doing like an intro to coding class next week. Uh-huh. And it's like, I, I think to your point, it's not about pushing that. It's pushing them to what they like doing. Yep. If what they like makes sense, right? Like to a right. certain degree. If right. it was up to me, he'd be a, a, a professional soccer player. But it's yeah. not. It's not up to us as parents. It's not practical. Yeah, I mean, you also yeah. have to give your kids, um, you know, and, and then, I mean, you think about people like Serena Williams, whose parents, like, recognize that, you know, you can be a tennis player. I'm going to make you be a tennis player from the time you're five years old. Or Tiger Woods is a perfect example, you know. Oh, um, so it's not necessarily practical, but if you believe that they're, you know, good enough to be something, then you pick something and stay dedicated to it. I mean, there's no user manual for any of this. It's just kind of winging it, most of us. Yeah. And Spe- hoping it works out. Speaking of kids, talk to us a little bit about your children's book. Candace is also a published author. Oh, yeah. That's what I, that's what I wanted to ask about, too. Yeah. Yeah. Number one best selling when it came out or something in the children's mm-hmm, book was, uh, category? Yep. It was the number one new release and number one bestseller in children's values in August 2019. So um, the book is called Nia's Puzzle, N-I-A, Nia's Puzzle, and it is, I, I'm like still taken aback, like it was just like a passion project. I'd had this idea a long, long, long time ago after I went, actually went through this horrific breakup with this guy that I was with in college, you know, we all have one, and uh, <laughs> I I went on this journey to Africa, this is a long story, but I'm, it has a point, I promise. Yeah. So I went on this trip to Africa. And I was living in a, um, literally in a hut um, in a village in Tanzania where I was volunteering uh, at their medical clinic to help deliver babies. And at the time I was, I had just gone through this really, really bad breakup and really feeling bad about a whole bunch of stuff. And I remember talking to this uh, chief who basically gave me a lot of wisdom. And what I came out of it was that life is like a puzzle and we get all these pieces one at a time. And it's really our job to put the pieces together. And sometimes we might get like a blue piece, for instance, and think that it's, you know, the sky and you're trying to shove it into the picture where you think it belongs. But once you have more pieces, you realize that that blue piece was like the ocean or it was, you know, the color of someone's eye or their shirt or something like that. And you had been trying to force it somewhere where it didn't belong. So our job in life is when we get these pieces that are odd or misshapen or that are frustrating or don't make sense to us at the time is to put it aside, turn it around from a different angle or figure out, wait a little while and see where it fits um, instead of trying to force it where it doesn't fit. And throughout my life, whenever something wasn't successful, whenever something uh, was difficult for me, it's been when I have tried to force something in where it didn't belong. And so I learned, you know, just let it happen. Like things are going to work out. You just have to have faith. You have to have perseverance and you have to look at the big picture. You have to wait and look at the big picture. Don't get stuck in the little tiny details that don't really make sense in the grand scheme of things. So that's what Nia's Puzzle is about. And it's a story of a child who spends time with her grandmother and they're baking cookies. And her grandmother tells a story to her that was passed down to her from her grandmother. 
and the story is of this puzzle and how life it's an analogy of life being like a puzzle that you have to put together one piece at a time and not to get frustrated when you get odd pieces because at the end of the day you're gonna see this great big picture and it's gonna make sense so what's the hardest part about putting a book together i mean i think you know not many people can say that they're published author number one amazon bestseller what did it take to get there like, I, I imagine you just didn't do this all in one day, right? Like this, this is probably you know, what's funny. I, I think I wrote the book in one day and um, I, it just came to me. Like I, I, it had been a story that I had on my heart for a long time, yeah. but I didn't have, it didn't have words and I had repeated it to multiple people, but I hadn't sat down and written it down. And one day my kids were all asleep and I just woke up. It was maybe like five o'clock in the morning. I didn't have anything else to do. And instead of getting online and, and spending all my money on Amazon, which is what I <laughs> normally do, is I just opened up Microsoft Word and just wrote down my story. And I, it, just, it just literally came to me in maybe an hour. And um, then I just started shopping, it, shopping around, um, looking for a publishing agent and um, a publisher. And I ended up actually finding uh, Robin's Nest Publishing, which is uh, led by Amber Robbins, who's also a physician who as a second career became a publisher. So um, I was very um, uh, fortunate to have been connected to her. What, Candace, what I loved about this book, so I, I bought one, uh, definitely was happy to support Is you. Is that at your reading level though, Sergio? Or that might be a little beyond your reading <laughs> level. No, my, a little bit, it was tough, it was tough. But um, so my daughter, everyone knows I've got a four-year-old and what I loved about this was, it was a little girl with big curly hair minority little mm -hmm. girl. And I think the problem right now with my daughter is a lot of the shows and cartoons she's watching aren't, they don't have minority characters. So she's like, oh, like, why don't I have blonde hair? Like literally she told me that the other day. Why don't I have yellow hair? Yeah. So I think I really applaud you for like creating something that can touch so many different communities and backgrounds. So like continue that. Cause I think that was for me when I read that story to my daughter who has big curly hair, it's awesome because it's like a character that kind of resembles her. So. I think rep representation definitely matters. Seeing people um, in positions of success that look like you, um, seeing people on TV, in film, and um, in, in any industry, representation makes a huge difference. So I was, you know, I wanted my character to look like me or one of my kids. And, um, but what's interesting is that it has nothing to do with the story, right? It's just a very subtle way of saying that we do normal things and we share normal stories with our grandkids, just like everyone else. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, it was great. You guys, uh, Matt, you should get a copy for Little Walker. Matt's got yeah, I'm definitely going to. Get a copy. He'll love it. Well, you know, it's, what's interesting, it's, a, the concept is a little bit above most little kids' heads, right? But what I wanted to do was to inspire a conversation with parents early on, because um, this is something that I wish I had learned when I was, you know, five years old, instead of learning it the hard way when you're in your 20s, right? Life is not always going to go your way. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to, you're not going to have every perfect piece and know where every piece fits. And um, it's, the book is just as much for adults as it is for children. What, what age range were you uh, targeting when you wrote it? Um, so the publisher is really targeting age eight, I believe. I think it was six to eight. Um, but really it's for everyone. And really it's, 
more to inspire a conversation between children and their adults about life and about, um, you know, perseverance, patience, and the big picture perspective. Yeah, those are great messages for sure. One common thing that I realized just from, you know, everything you've been talking about regarding what the book's about, regarding about your background is, you know, just being resilient in overcoming challenges. Could you share with us, what do you think the most difficult obstacle was in your profession to overcome? What was your biggest challenge? What was your puzzle piece? What was the most misshapen puzzle piece in Dr. Candace Weaver's life? I don't know. Professionally difficult obstacles. Let's see. I mean, I've had obstacles all the way from getting into medical school through, I mean, getting into residency. Medical school is not a joke, man. It's tough. It's not for the uh, weak at heart. It's 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 been an obstacle from day one really you know I I sacrificed a lot for this career you know when you think about the fact that I went into college I started at Cal when I was 17 and I did not finish with my medical education and residency till I was about 31 32 years old so that's how long it takes and I just did a three-year residency some people are in residency for 10 years right so that's how long I was in school. So when all of my friends were, you know, at All-Star Weekend, I'll never forget. I always use All-Star Weekend as my, like, you know, regret, right? Because I'll never forget. I was in the library. And my friend instant messaged me. That's how old I am. She's like, girl. Wait, A-W-L or A-O-L? Yeah, A-O-L, right? like, girl, you got to you got to get your stuff together, get on this plane, we're going to go to All-Star Weekend. And I said, no, I have to do OCHEM. And I'll never forget it. Um and she's like, you're studying your life away. And it, it, stu- it, it like hit me. I was like, I am studying my life away. But then one day we look up and I'm the same age as her still. We're still the same age, you know, and I might, you know, just be a little bit more successful. It, there's sacrifices. And I think for me, that was an obstacle. It's, it's an obstacle when you have other choices and alternatives that you kind of have to give up for um, your career. Yeah, I'd say so. You have a house on the giant hill and, and get right on top of a mountain so I think you've done uh you've done well uh talk to us a little bit about the uh the cakes easy what is it your cookie well, artist. the cookie queen yeah that's what I really I yeah the cookie queen that's talk what I really I am know the about I'm <laughs> all about cookies so you gotta tell me I'm gonna make you a cookie one day so that's just my passion just one of the things that make me happy it started out as a hobby my grandmother actually was a um uh at home chef. She wasn't um, professionally trained. She didn't go to culinary school, but she was so well known in Yonkers, New York for her baking that there's actually a day named after her. And uh, every year she would come to California and visit us and make the most amazing pastries and cakes and pies. And so I kind of have, it's always stuck with me in my entire life. And um, I just picked up this new hobby of decorating cookies and it just blew up like, and I'm just doing it for fun. But then people are like, Oh, can you make one for my, you know, my baby shower, my friend's birthday or whatever. And it just ended up being this, this whole thing. I'm baking like thousands of cookies a year. Uh, I think I've done two celebrities now. And one I baked cookies with Drake's face. Those are the most uh, popular cookies that I make. Everyone wants Drake face cookies. Drake. It was so <laughs> annoying during the finals, Lee, with Toronto oh, yeah. and the Warriors. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. 
He's a good, I'd say he's been a fan for a while, so whatever. Um, (laughs) What's your IG handle for this, uh, for the cake? Uh, Do you want to maybe promote that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Follow me at CC Does It. Um, It's spelled C Easy Does It, because my nickname is CC. My whole family calls me CC. So CZ Does It is sort of like a play on that. So C-E-A-S-Y-D-O-E-S-I-T. And that's where you can find all my cookies and all my DIY stuff and all my work-life balance and resilience uh, stuff online. Awesome. If you could, if you could give anybody earlier in their career thinking about pursuing this field, medicine, any piece of advice you want to leave them with? Hmm. Hmm. Let me think. Piece of advice. You willing to sacrifice? Well, I heard that. Yeah. Don't go to All Star Weekend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, in the field of medicine, I think you really have to choose your specialty wisely. That's the biggest advice that I would give everyone. It's not like other fields where you can um, easily just jump to a different niche, right? Like I have a friend who worked at Facebook and the this person actually did education in finance, but somehow they're doing diversity instead mm-hmm. and it, it, they, they were able to change and I think that's so awesome but in medicine you can't because residency again is between three to ten years to get your specialty family medicine like me is three years but let's say you want to be like a neurosurgeon you're going to be in residency for a long time and that's after undergrad and med school or grad school if you do that too right so you have to really be honest with yourself about your priorities whether that be time or family or community service. Because in medicine, once you're in that specialty, unless you wanna go back to residency again, another three or 10 years, you're pretty much there. So you have to be forward thinking and decide like 10 years from now, will I be happy doing this? 10 years from now, will I be, you know, will I have different priorities? Will I want to, you know, be basket weaving in Tanzania or am I gonna to wanna to still be in this career? Um, it's a, it's, you're in it for the long haul and you're not necessarily in it for money. So the biggest thing for me too, is to make sure that you choose a career that will set you up for success. And for me, defining success, not as financial success is the biggest thing that everyone needs to learn early on. Right. I think there's a, there's a toast in Spanish that says salud, amor, dinero y tiempo para gastarlo, which means health love money and the time to spend it right your time is that one thing that one possession that you can never you can spend and never ever get back and it doesn't matter how much money you have how many degrees or other accolades that you have you don't have time you have nothing so um choose a career that will allow you the time to enjoy all the things that you worked hard for yeah that's awesome uh as we get close to wrapping the show I wanted to end with the most important question. So you said your favorite TV show is The Office. Yes. Who is your favorite character from The Office? (sighs) And why? (laughs) Oh God, I love them all. I love them all. It's probably between Michael Scott and Dwight. Um, It really depends on the season. I've seen almost every single episode at least two or three times. Um, The people that, I think Michael Scott. I'm gonna, Steve Carell. Okay. I'm gonna say it. Yep, I love him. Which office character most symbolizes you? You think? Oh. Oh, I'm totally Jim. Question. I'm Jim all day. <laughs> I'm a prankster. I'm sarcastic. 
Jim was actually a really smart guy, you know, yes. and uh, yeah, I think he, he wears his heart on his sleeve. Um, he's, I, I, I'm totally a Jim. I identify with him a lot. Uh, well, you know, and I love Andy too. I'm a little bit of an Andy sometimes, a little cornball, you know, we got that IV connection going on. (laughs) (laughs) I think, so I think Dwight is my favorite character. He just has me, Creed is sneaky good too. He's just like a creepy (laughs) old guy, you know, just like out of nowhere. Stan, oh, Stanley's amazing. (laughs) Pretzel day. Cool. Uh, anything else, guys, before we let uh, Candace go? No, I just really appreciate you coming on uh, and sharing just, you know, your path. I mean, it's it's truly inspirational, and I, I thought you gave some great advice for everyone. Yeah, thank you. It was a really, really great interview. Yeah, yeah really appreciate it, Candace. Thank you. You're welcome. I'll come back anytime. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Candace, for joining us. Joining us. Uh, fantastic interview. You've been listening to the Free Retiree Show. So long for now. Advisory Services offered through Securities American Advisors, a registered investment advisor with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Securities offered through Securities American Corporate. Member of FINRA, www.finra.org, slash SIPC, www.sipc.org, a separate entity. D. Michael Murphy, licensed with the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. The Free Retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America are separate companies. Career advisors, Sergio Patterson, and attorney Matt McElroy are not affiliated with Securities America Advisors or Securities America companies. Securities America, Securities America Advisors, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. Third-party source information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. All or a portion of this event was paid for by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of Facebook Incorporated. The opinions of Matt McElroy, attorney, do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda Company and the opinions of Candace Weaver, Dr. Candace Weaver, do not reflect any medical opinions or advice.